This is Web3 Breakdowns. Web3 Breakdowns is a series of conversations exploring innovation in the decentralized internet. Each episode, we will focus on a different topic. We will cover NFT projects, crypto assets, blockchain-based protocols, and businesses being built with Web3 architecture. We will talk to founders, artists, investors, and influencers to understand this emerging ecosystem. Come join us down the rabbit hole. To find more episodes, transcripts, and a library of content to continue your learning, visit joincolossus.com. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions. Hosts and podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. This is Eric Golden, and my guest today is Fonz. Fonz is the founder of Token Proof, which lets NFT owners prove their ownership online and at events without exposing their wallets or tokens. I used the service at ApeFest last month and was blown away by how seamless it was. If you haven't already listened to it, I recommend pairing this episode with our conversation on token gating with Alex Danko. Please enjoy my conversation with Fonz. So Fonz, thank you for joining me today. I'm excited to dive into token proof and token gating NFTs. Thank you. Glad to be here, Eric. I thought a fun place to start would be a year ago for ApeFest, not this most recent one, 22, but technically the one in 21. The way we got into this event was we had to take a wallet, sign on to a website, which is always scary. From there, we were given a digital code that was like 20 alphanumeric text string. We then had to copy that code, protect it with our lives, get to New York. Then we had to wait in line, which eventually ended up taking, I think on average, five hours. After waiting in line for five hours, you got to the front of the line where someone with a piece of paper crossed off those numbers and gave us an armband to go to a concert. And that was less than a year ago. Well, let's be fair. It was Google Sheets that they were using, not a piece of paper. Google Sheets. It was a little bit more advanced than a spreadsheet. But this year, we had a completely different experience brought to us by your company, Token Proof. So why don't you give us a snapshot of what happened this year and how Token Proof solved a huge problem for all of us? I think that everybody was a little bit frustrated about the logistics of last year. And I don't think that they were unique to ApeFest. I think that the mechanisms to prove that you own an NFT in order to get into all these events and parties were clunky and non-existent. And I think that was one of the primary reasons for us to develop what is now token proof, because I was there last year. It was a lot of fun. And I'll tell you, I made good friends in those four hours that we stood in line. But there were a lot of people that it was their first time in New York City. and they probably had better things to do with their time than standing in line for four or five hours. We thought that we could come up with an alternative that would make people happy and make the logistics of the events better. So that's what we did last week at NFT NYC. And I am super happy about the outcome. Essentially, people were able to claim tickets to ApeFest before showing up in New York City. And they basically had their tickets in the Token Proof app which showed a dynamic QR code or an animated QR code that they would scan at the gate. And we were able to move 3,000 people very, very quickly. I don't know how it was for you from the consumer's or the holder's perspective, but I was scanning QR codes. I was supervising the line and it seemed to go very well. It was an unbelievably seamless experience. So maybe for those people who don't understand token gating or what happened, what were people doing? 
they owned an NFT and how do they end up getting tickets to this event? Yeah, and ApeFest was a little bit unique when you compare it to the other events that we did at NFT NYC because there was custom functionality that we developed for that particular use case. Essentially, what happened is a couple of weeks before ApeFest, you would log into our website and rank the number of days that you were able to attend for ApeFest. So ApeFest was four days. And what we had you do is select the days that you actually were interested in going and then rank in the order of interest. Because maybe the one day that I really wanted to go is day three. And then my next one is day one and my next one day four. So what we did is we built a fair distribution algorithm that tried to get as many people in based on their preferences. So nobody got the four days. I don't think anybody got three days. I think most people got either one or two days. And during the event, we were able to release more tickets in the order of the wait list based on their users' preferences. A lot of logic and a lot of logistics in getting people their tickets. But all of these people were ape holders. They either have an ape or a mutant ape that they purchased before. So what we did is once we issued the tickets to them in their token proof app, they would be able to show up at the gate and show that animated QR code. When we scanned that QR code, we went to the blockchain to make sure that they still had that ape or that mutant and that they hadn't sold it or transferred it five minutes before. So it's this real-time verification of their digital assets, which is very much important. Last year, once you had that alphanumeric code, then you could give it to somebody else. You could sell your ape, sell your mutant. And I think what's very important about these events is that the event organizers like the Board of Yacht Club want to make sure that the people attending the event are the people that hold their NFTs. I have a theory that this is going to change next year and that this is the last year that we see this type of exclusivity in all of these events. But we can talk about that in a little bit. What we're doing at TokenProof is token gating IRL experiences. It's not the only thing that we're going to be doing because we're also going to be token gating online use cases. But what we've been doing so far is connecting and unlocking the power of NFTs in the real world by allowing you and other users to prove ownership of NFTs without actually carrying your digital wallet, because it's just plain stupid to have your valuable assets on a hot wallet in your phone. So the idea is that someone already owns the NFT and the project or whatever wants to reward them or create some sort of event. And that's the gating mechanism to get them into the event is holding it and then showing up. And one of the problems in the past, anytime people wanted to do proof of ownership, you were constantly exposing your wallet and your assets to a website. And I think that really concerned people. Take us back, because I think the backstory with how you started developing this technology is really interesting. This wasn't the first use case you went after. Tell us about your story in the startup world and what came before Token Proof. I've been in technology my whole life. I'm originally from Mexico City, but I've been in the States, specifically in Texas. I'm based out of Austin. I've been in Texas for 20 years now. I'm not an engineer, but I've always been on the entrepreneurial side of things when it comes to tech and startups. My dad bought me a computer when I was six years old or seven years old, and I became addicted. I was fortunate, and I still remember Web 1.0, and obviously couldn't really participate. I was just watching from the sidelines. But ever since that moment, I got obsessed with technology. 
I spent 12 years in the oil and gas industry in Houston, and I developed technology for the industry. I had a successful exit in 2017. I built and bootstrapped a startup that was focused on inventory control for oil and gas. I worked for the company that acquired me for about three years. Great experience. I'm not really a corporate guy. I don't do well in those environments. So I'm glad it was only three years. Actually, people didn't think I would be lasting that long there. But then the pandemic happened. When the pandemic hit, I got connected to a group of ex-Microsoft folks led by Paul Maritz. And Paul is not a guy that you usually hear about because he used to run Microsoft in the 90s. Brilliant guy. He was number three at Microsoft. You usually hear about Bill and Steve. He was the third ranking officer there. Really important figure. And if you look at his Wikipedia page, Bill Gates has a quote there. And so does Steve Ballmer talking about how he built the personal computing industry. So I was super fortunate to connect with him and his group. They tapped me to be CEO and co-founder of this new venture because they had the idea that eventually it would be useful for all of us to carry our vaccination status in our phones in a tamper-proof and verifiable way by using a mix of cryptography and QR codes. Most of us are already familiar with the concept of vaccine passports. We hate the term. Unfortunately, that whole field was politicized to just an insane degree. But we were one of the earlier iterations of that technology. That was the business that I started with Paul and the crew. We went at it for about a year, year and a half. We built the technology. We tried to go to market. But unfortunately, it was so highly politicized it was very hard to get this off the ground. Eventually, I told Paul and my other co-founders, I said, listen, guys, we need more money to keep this going. And when I look at bets we could be making, this is probably not the right one. So I think we should shut this down. So we shut down the business in May of last year. And I had seen NFTs in January when Beeple had his big $69 million sale. But I couldn't really participate because I was doing CPR on the vaccine passport business. But now that we had shut it down, I decided to take a break from work. I had been grinding for the last 15 years. And I said, let's just go into this NFT rabbit hole. Let's just have fun, learn. I had been a crypto investor since 2017, like a lot of people just passively investing in Bitcoin and Ethereum. So I had some ETH that I could put to use. So I just started buying shit. I bought my board ape. I bought my cool cats. I bought a bunch of stuff that is definitely going to zero now. I learned a ton and I became part of the community. I started shit posting on Twitter. I started making connections, but I was optimizing for knowledge and just for taking a break and having fun. Eventually, I went to NFT NYC. I went to ApeFest. I also started noticing that people were getting scammed out of their tokens because as it is right now, and you said it, we're still connecting our wallets directly to all of these random websites and Discord and all of these things, and we're exposing our tokens. So every time we connect our wallets with valuable assets, it makes me nervous. So at some point during late December, I'm talking like December 23rd, which is probably the worst time to have an idea because everybody's on the holidays, I thought, well, maybe we can pivot what we built for the vaccine verification, bring it over to Web3, and turn it into NFT verification so that people can go to parties and events and connect real-world experiences with their NFTs without really exposing their NFTs. 
I called a small group of our former team from the previous venture. And I said, hey, guys, I have this idea. It's probably not going to work, but let's just try it out. Because I think we already have some of the components that we can reuse from the vaccine world. And let's just give it a go. So that's what we did. And that's how Token Proof got started. It's interesting to think about our COVID vaccine cards as token gating. That was actually something that for the non-crypto, non-NFT people listening, if you went to New York and you wanted to get into a restaurant, you had to show proof of something to get in. And there was little apps, but it was a picture. And this is kind of an interesting segue into like why NFTs are so interesting to me. I was in New York with a friend who didn't have it with my wife for dinner, and we were trying to go to a restaurant. And literally, he just handed her his phone and showed that one. And they're like, you can come in. And it was kind of an interesting segue into this idea of token gating with NFTs. At a high level, when you try to explain this to people that maybe don't have as much experience in NFTs, how do you explain the power of token gating an event, an experience, a purchase with an NFT? Let's look at the Bori Biak Club, keyword club. If you own an NFT, you're part of the club, which means that the NFT serves as membership, membership to something, and it's going to get you certain benefits. And one of those is going to these events because nobody paid for their ticket to ApeFest. There was no ticket sales. But if you had the NFT, then you were able to attend if you claimed the ticket. The way that I would explain it is these membership cards that have a value prescribed to them and that are completely tradable. That's not all NFTs because there's art NFTs, which have zero utility other than just being art that you collect. But for all of these events that were token-gated, your NFT acted as a membership card that entitled you to attend one of these events. What we're doing is we're providing the infrastructure for the event to verify that whoever's attending the event is really a holder or an owner of that NFT. We realized that people were going to try to game the system. So that's why we have an animated QR code so that even if you were taking a video or a screenshot and you sent it to your buddy, he wouldn't be able to get in because these QR codes are timestamped and they're only valid for about 10 seconds. We did see though, people FaceTiming their QR codes. And I thought that was very clever and it actually worked. So now we got something on the roadmap to prevent that as well. That's the concept of token gating is you're using a digital asset as a membership card to unlock an experience, a benefit, a discount, something like that. And it can happen in the real world, but it can also happen online. For NFT NYC, I'm assuming most of the stuff that I attended was we had an NFT and somebody threw a party or an event and you could go to it. As you're thinking about token proof as a company and all the possible use cases, what are some of the exciting use cases outside of a club and a concert that you see potentially NFT gating being used for? I always talk about retail, and that's where part of our big vision is. When we connect the web free consumer to real world brands, especially as it relates to retail and brick and mortar stores, it could also work for e commerce. Imagine that Sephora or Victoria's Secret wants to offer a discount to holders of World of Women. Because we know what people are holding in their wallets that they've registered with Token Proof, because the blockchain is public, then whenever Sephora wants to run a promotion to holders of World of Women, I can send a push notification to those holders and say, hey, if you walk into a Sephora store in the next five days by showing proof that you own a World of Women token, you can get 25% off. 
So we can bring awareness of that promotion to the consumer and we can do the token verification at the retail shop or at the e-commerce location. So we're starting to work through those use cases. That's one of the most interesting ones to me. When you think about that kind of example, it seems like it's going from, okay, we're going to take the NFT community based on however big it is and say for people who already own these assets and there's some a limited kind of number of like the marquee assets that brands might want to go after. It's an interesting example. Have you thought about expanding into the brands themselves using the tokens and saying, okay, for your example of Sephora, this is something we were debating about is, does this make sense for general commerce or is this always going to be a luxury, premium, scarce good type of transaction? I think the jury's still out and this is all still an experiment. I think there's interesting use cases. We're starting to talk to big brands that are wanting to drop their own NFTs and have activations around those NFTs. I know, for example, Paramount Pictures dropped an NFT related to Star Trek. They're going to do activations at Comic-Con, for example, where you're going to be able to get into a certain experience or get some sort of free merch or product because you own an NFT. Another one that excites me a lot is live entertainment, live music. I'm a concert junkie. What if I bought the NFT to one of my favorite bands and when I go see them, I have access to exclusive merch, I have access to a private lounge, I have access to maybe the sound check. Things like that are very important and they're exciting. And the NFT has value that could potentially increase or decrease. So because it's tradable, maybe I can enjoy those experiences. And as my favorite band gets bigger, maybe the value of my NFT is going to go up and I can resell it whenever I want to. So I think there's very interesting things that could be done there. Sporting events as well. We have a big integration and partnership with Poab, which is the proof of attendance protocol, which is basically badges that you get after attending an event. Similar to when you and I go to a show and we save our ticket stub on paper. It's basically the same concept. But because now these Poaps are on chain, we can start segmenting customers by their loyalty to certain sports teams or artists or whatnot. So maybe I can offer a promotion to somebody that has gone to five games for the Houston Rockets. I think that gets very interesting as well. I have a marketing brain, so I like thinking about those use cases. What do you think about, from the marketing standpoint, on the artist? One question that's come up about the tradability, some people think of that as a pro, some think of it as a con, that you could buy your way to fandom, where like the example on a prior show we did was Jared Dicker, who's a huge fish fan, goes to all these shows. And we were trying to use this example of, wouldn't it be amazing? Every show you go at, you have an NFT delivered. And at the end of the year, if you have 10 NFTs and they want to do a small concert for just the people that have all 10, that's amazing. Perhaps someone didn't go to all 10, but is willing to pay a huge price and there's value there versus someone else or a different use case when they just want to say, no, I don't want these to be tradable. I want them to be given and non-transferable. I think it's a valid concern. I talk about this all the time is I go to see Aerosmith or the Rolling Stones and the people that are up in the front, they're not the real fans. They're the people that were able to pay for that expensive ticket. I think it's up to the artists and the sporting teams, et cetera, to establish the rules of their own games and incentivize people that may not necessarily have the wealth to purchase their way into fandom, but to still give them a benefit where they can, quote unquote, attend to earn. 
So in the live entertainment, are you right now, is it predominantly the NFT communities that are coming to you and trying to throw events? Or are you having kind of the reverse inquiry with traditional artists? I guess one question we've had before is, why aren't we seeing it from the other side? Eminem and Snoop performed at the last night of ApeFest, and it was huge and got a bunch of good press. Hypothetically, they could have tried to have done that on their own. Their community has to be activated in some way. But with your marketing hat on, what do you think are some of the barriers to those traditional entertainment coming this way? I think people in the traditional world are still a little bit apprehensive about embracing NFTs at a large scale because they associate NFTs with flipping and price speculation and scams. And I think to a degree, that's actually true. I fully believe in the technology. I'm super passionate about NFTs and what we're doing here in Web3. And this bear market is helping flush people that are only focused on speculation out. We need to get rid of this toxic environment where NFTs are solely associated with flipping, flipping, flipping and getting rich. I think we need to look at it from the standpoint of this is an interesting technology that can serve many different use cases. And it's also aligning the value chain to where the real creators of whatever it is, whether it's arts or live music or sports, are getting that reward. As it is right now, and this is very relevant to live entertainment, when tickets go on sale for the Rolling Stones, tickets may go on sale for, I don't know, $250. And then the minute that you walk out the door, you can sell that ticket for, I don't know, $1,000. Who's getting the benefit? Who's getting that delta of value? The reseller. And yet the reseller is not doing anything. It's the rolling stones that are causing that value to appreciate. So by using NFTs, the real creators of value can actually gain and accumulate that value versus people that are just not adding value in that supply chain. Yeah, it's an interesting point. We've gone down this rabbit hole on ticketing, which I get so excited about of one of the more obvious use cases of this technology. It's even deeper than that because in that reseller, StubHub or Vivid or SeatGeek, their costs are paying search engines and Facebook ads to advertise. So people buy those tickets, there's huge fees taken out. So it's not like a reseller gets to take that $500 that goes right in their pocket. A lot of money goes a lot of different ways. When you think about how brands just broadly at a high level think about monetizing NFTs as a strategy. What are some of the most exciting things in that head of yours coming up with all these ideas that they could use or experiment with? I mean, the obvious one is secondary market royalties. As that NFT changes hands, then that brand or the creator of that NFT gets to participate in those transactions. That's interesting. That's easy. What else can you do that is maybe not as obvious and as tangible as the secondary market royalties? How can you create more loyalty because people now feel like they own a piece of whatever you're creating? That is super important. If I feel like I am closer to the Rolling Stones because I own one of their NFTs and there's a very limited supply of those NFTs, then I have more loyalty towards that brand. Maybe it's not as tangible as the dollar amount that the Rolling Stones are going to get from the secondary market royalties. But I think loyalty has a huge amount of potential because now you have an army of people that are going to bat for you and that feel even more passionate about what you're doing. Do you think that on the 
type of events or type of services or goods remains from a token proof strategy or just the industry in general towards expensive, high premium goods? Or do you see a version of this for low cost items? I haven't given it too much thought, really. I think that as the focus of NFTs goes away from price speculation and getting rich, then I think you're going to see lower value NFTs that still provide benefits. So I don't know. What do you think? We were just talking about this, and it seems like people want to be part of communities and be part of a brand that matters to them. When I think about Gucci spending all this money on advertisement and fashion week, it kind of makes sense to me that if someone had purchased 10 Gucci bags over the year, and Gucci could use token proof or use the blockchain to track those, that then they could do some sort of collaboration where that person gets flown out first class on American Airlines, they stay at this beautiful Airbnb, and those are the people you'd want in the front rows interspersed with the celebrity. So it seems to make a lot of sense for premium goods. One of these problems I see, especially on Twitter right now, is all or nothing. Crypto is in a bear market, so people want to say it's got no use. And when it's in a bull market, it's even more annoying for builders because they think it's going to do everything. If you go to Amazon and you buy batteries, I don't think you need an NFT for that. There's nothing I'm associating with that I buy Amazon basic batteries. But if you buy a Yeti cooler, if you wear a certain t-shirt, if you go to certain events, you're kind of identifying that these are the things that I like and this says something about me. And every time I go down those paths, which does seem large, it seems like there's a lot more opportunity for the brands to directly connect with the super fans. It's not just testing on premium goods. It's that that's where people are really passionate and that's where they're spending their excess money and their excess time. That's why I love POAP because these are badges that you get from participating in certain events and it could be participating in a purchase. You're not thinking about the monetary value of a POAP yet it is an NFT in the blockchain. So yeah, I think different use cases, but that has huge potential when it comes to marketing. I think it's going to take time to really materialize and for brands in the traditional spaces to embrace, but I am super bullish on POAPs and the ability for token proof to validate that you have a certain level of loyalty in order to get a discount, a benefit, an experience, etc. When you were pitching token proof and trying to get this idea off the ground before ApeFest, I feel like There was a before ApeFest and before NFT NYC and an after. What were some of the early reactions before they saw the success of last week? Before we pitched the idea to event organizers and NFT projects, we went to the consumer. We said, we're coming out with this solution that will allow you to prove ownership of your NFTs without connecting your wallet. The way that we talked about it, and especially the security aspect of it, got a lot of people interested. We were able to gain that buzz on Twitter because at the end of the day, Twitter is this protocol where we're all hanging out in. That's our medium of communication in the space. We were able to make some headlines because we said that we would offer this solution. That allowed us to get the interest from the NFT projects. And timing worked very well for us because the way that we approached it is I went to Paul and my other investors and I said, listen, I have this idea. It looks like it's a technology play, which to a degree it is because the technology has to work correctly. But more than a technology play, it's a momentum play and it's a partnership play because the technology can work. But if you don't have the right partnerships, you're not going to be able to get this off the ground. You're not going to be able to defend the product because it's not rocket science. Somebody could replicate and we're already seeing players in the space that are trying to do the same. 
but nobody has been able to secure the partnerships that we have. And it's an interesting story. Yuga Labs, it's the ultimate vote of confidence in the space that we could have ever hoped for. So when I went to my investors and I pitched the pivot, I said, I want to get to South by Southwest. So let's fund this experiment. If we make it out alive after South by Southwest, we can talk about becoming a real company, but let's just set that as our goal. So what we did is we hosted a small event at South by Southwest, 100 people, 150 people. We airdropped a POAP to everybody that RSVP'd to the event. And then we had them sign up with token proof and show their QR code at the door that would prove that they owned that POAP. We used POAPs in an interesting way. We used them as tickets more than proof of attendance because there were a lot of people that ended up with the POAP but didn't come to the event. So I'm at the event, I'm working the line and I'm scanning people's QR codes. And this person comes up to me and they go, hi, I'm so-and-so from Yuga Labs. And I was like, wait, what? Yuga Labs is in the building? Like Yuga Labs came to my event and I'm like this small experiment of a startup. And that's how that relationship started. They got interested in the technology because it worked. At that moment, I knew that they were gonna start thinking about using this for ApeFest. Weeks later, they came back to me and they said, okay, let's talk about ApeFest. And we worked with them for months before ApeFest happened. What an incredible story. That's a really cool way for them to have found you. What was your feeling going into it? I know that we talked before and you're like, Eric, I'm betting the company and either I'm going to come out alive or dead. So I know you had a lot of emotions leading up to it. I was very nervous about NFT NYC because I think I can say it now, we were definitely biting more than we could have chewed. We ended up doing around 80 events, which definitely made me nervous. And I knew that we were going to have some hiccups. And I think we did have the expected hiccups, but we were super fortunate in that, number one, our partners are great. Number two, the technology actually works. Number three, we have a kick-ass team and we had like 15 people at NFT NYC. Yeah, there were moments where we had to step in and actually scan QR codes because the event organizer or whoever was the boots on the ground on their side was struggling. But all in all, it worked very, very well. The one event that I knew would go very, very smoothly was ApeFest. It was the biggest one and it was the one that I was the least concerned about because we had multiple calls every week with these guys. We planned for every scenario, every possibility. Because of that, I felt pretty good about ApeFest and I think it went without a hitch. As someone who knew about the company and then got to go experience it, it was unbelievable part of experience. Everyone's talking about the headliners, the event and the party and all the people they met. But I think that anyone who went to both has a great appreciation for actually solving a problem. There's a lot of made up problems and a lot of BS in the space. So to actually see something live work like that, it was a really cool experience. It was amazing for me to see it in action, especially having somebody other than my staff and my team scan QR codes and the people scanning the tickets at the entrance saying, hey, get out your token proof app. And I was like, wow, it's real now. It was amazing. What were your big learnings from the week of directions or inspirations you think of both what you would do specifically for token proof or kind of bigger strategy ideas of what you see in the future? I think the number one learning is there's definitely tons of room for improvement with the token proof platform and app. I always approach these exercises with humility because there's still a lot of things that we need to implement. I think that NFT NYC would have looked different if my team wasn't there at all of the big events supporting 
I would still feel very nervous about just handing this off completely to the event organizers because it's a new technology. There's a learning curve both on the event side and on the consumer side. Another big learning is we need to be very much aligned with the event organizers in the logistics of the event as it relates to how they handle lines, how many people will be scanning, things like that, because we did find a couple of cases and a couple of hiccups where we weren't fully aligned and we didn't prepare as much as we did for Fest in other events. There were events that had token proof, but they also had like a guest list and they also had maybe staff that wasn't fully trained and that just caused problems. We want to make sure that whoever we're partnering with, that they can accept our opinion in how to handle these events. Because I think if an event goes south or goes wrong, it's easy to blame technology for the shortcomings. Fortunately, that did not happen. I think all of our partners are very happy with the way that we executed and the way that this all worked. But there were times where I felt at risk. Maybe lines weren't moving as fast as people wanted to. That's not necessarily the technology's fault. It's how the logistics were planned. There was definitely one event where there was a long line and it didn't seem to be anything more than private guest lists and people getting ahead of the line. But we see a big line, someone takes a picture, puts it on Twitter and says, like, it's token proof working and you just become the fall guy for the problem. You were talking about ApeFest next year and your views of it. There's been lots of speculation on where these type of events can go or how they might work. ApeFest is just talked about because it was the biggest event, but it's also, to me, a great example of what's possible because they're pushing the edge of, is this the next type of Coachella with VIP access and different tiers of membership? Where do you see this type of event going? I think there's two types of events. And you have the ApeFests of the world, and you have conferences like VCon. I know Kevin Rose and the Proof Collective are talking about a big conference. I would separate those two. I think both are going to be super interesting. As it relates to the ApeFest, and I'm not talking about ApeFest specifically, and I don't have any inside information, but my prediction is that events will be bigger in the future. I think events are not going to be exclusive to the holders of that particular community. I think maybe even more communities are going to collaborate on one single event. But my prediction is that events are going to be more open to the general public or to non-holders where you'll be able to purchase a ticket to the event. And that will be an additional revenue stream for the event organizers, whether it's the Board of Yacht Club or Proof Collective or the Cool Cats, whatever. Even if you don't own the NFT, you'll be able to attend by purchasing a ticket. And for those of us that do have the NFT, we will get free access, VIP access. I don't know exactly what that looks like, but we wouldn't need to purchase a ticket. So I think that becomes very interesting because you could see big events at the scale of Coachella. And I think it's an interesting way to bring in people that are maybe interested in NFTs or interested in that particular community, but they haven't purchased the NFT yet. It's a way to expose them to what that community looks like. I think it's going to be very interesting next year. That's my prediction. I think that is going to happen. I tend to agree. It seems to make a lot of sense that that's the direction we're going from just a pop-up event. And it's a really exciting thing to bring everyone together to a much more full-scale experience, like a four-night festival to like what the national events are. One thing on the technology side I like to just dig into now is there's a lot of 
hype in blockchain and crypto. And some people say you've got to use it for everything. With your technical hat on, if you didn't have the blockchain to prove the token, how would you have solved this problem if you didn't have the blockchain and the NFT? What were the old ways to try to do something like this? I think the old ways are the Eventbrites and Ticketmasters of the world, which, by the way, I don't necessarily want to compete with them because Ticketmaster, they have decades of experience in ticketing logistics. And you can shit on Ticketmaster for whatever reason, but it actually works and it works very well. And they're able to handle all of these different venues and their seating charts. We're here in a spirit of collaboration and we want to add value to those traditional ticketing systems. I think the way that they do it is the way that you solve if you didn't have the blockchain. Our underlying technology, which is something that I don't talk enough about, is verifiable credentials. Verifiable credentials you can think of as an offline, non-transferable NFT. I know that Vitalik is talking about soul-bound NFTs, which by the way, I think it's a terrible name, but verifiable credentials are number one, chain agnostic. They don't need to live on-chain at all, although they can. It's essentially a claim that you make about something or someone that has a cryptographic proof that you can verify. I know that's a lot of technical jargon, but it's essentially an NFT that you cannot transfer and that can be used for many different things. And the way that we think we could use it initially is You know how when you went to 8Fest and a lot of these events, you first had to go through an H verification, you would show somebody your ID, and then they would give you a wristband saying that you're over 21. We could actually remove all of those logistics by doing KYC verification, and then you have this H verification credential in your token proof app. And with that single QR code, you can prove undeniably that you're over 21 and that you have a ticket to the event. We could do more stuff than that. We can have all sorts of credentials within the token proof app. Eventually, it might be your college diploma. It could be your driver's license. It could be many different things, other types of degrees and achievements, other types of memberships to clubs that are not necessarily NFTs that need to be verified somehow. So that's something that we're well positioned to do because as it is right now, all of the tickets in the token proof app, they're not NFTs. They live completely off chain, but they have this cryptographic component that allows it to be verified by anybody. Do you view a world where token proof creates tickets that are tradable? Like you are more compatible with a ticket master and I bought tickets to an event and now I want to trade them and I could buy and sell them to someone else who potentially has that right credentialing? Or do you view it as the problem that you're solving is If you have this context, you can get into this event. I think we're going to build for the functionality. We need to, and we need to enable ticket transferability, but we still want to respect the board of yacht clubs of the world and the other NFT projects that really want their events to be attended by their community and their holders. As soon as we have ticket transferability, we're going to see a secondary market for those tickets. The moment that we have that secondary market, it could become a little toxic. And suddenly you're at ApeFest with the people that paid for ApeFest, not with the real Ape holders. So it's a balance that we have to strike. But from a tech perspective, I think we're going to build for it. And we're going to let the event organizers decide whether their tickets are transferable or not. That's a really interesting problem. And I've always wondered if 
the creators and the entertainers are actually trying to solve the problem or they just want to complain about it. I can't really tell. But in traditional entertainment, when I think about the bands that they're desperately trying to solve this problem, and this is one of the things I found so interesting of where NFTs could be used is how do I get these tickets in the fans hands? To your example, how is that front row, not just people that pay a premium to sit there? How is that front row, the diehard fans? Because I think it makes everything better. If it was, it's not that I'm like, trust me, I'm a free markets capitalist. And I love the fact that markets can price things. But I also think about the goodwill of the super fans, the desire to be there, what it means when those people are there and they know every word to every song and they're wearing shirts and they have their kids from 10 years ago that they brought there. And there's something really special about that. And the interesting thing from token proof and token gating as you're using it is you're starting with that premise. The only way to get in is to have owned this thing. There is no way around it. And now we're thinking about how do those two worlds merge? So I don't know if you've thought about it too much, but when you think about a partnership with a ticket master or a traditional venue, how could something like that work with this new technology? I see it in two ways, at least two ways. One is we don't want to compete with their ticketing system because that would be completely stupid of us to try to do. In order to unlock that first row and in order to have access to that first row, maybe you'll still pay for the ticket, but the only way to gain access to that preferential price or that fan price is by having the NFT or by having five POAPs from previous shows. That's how we would integrate with them to where you're proving ownership of those POAPs or those NFTs using token proof. And then Ticketmaster takes it from there. And you could have a combination where that front row is priced very, very high if you don't have the POAPs or the NFT. If you do, then you get really preferential fan pricing. That to me makes a lot of sense. But also in the experience, once you're at the venue, because you're an NFT holder or because you've gone to five of these shows or 10 of these shows and you're a diehard fan, then you have access to that special lounge, that exclusive merch, that free t-shirt, that free poster, many different possibilities. Maybe you get to meet the band. Maybe you get a backstage pass because you're Jared and you've been to like 50,000 fish concerts. This idea of the wallet, when we connected the wallet to token proof, I'm curious, and as this ecosystem's evolving, the wallet is really important to the identity, to where the assets are, quote unquote, stored. Is token proof integrating into a wallet? Does it always remain a separate app that just handles all wallets? How do you think about where an asset's owned and then how it's actually used with an event? If we want to protect our digital assets, there needs to be a clear barrier or a clear wall between your actual transactional wallet and your proof of ownership mechanism. Because as it is right now, this is by design, we cannot execute a transaction on behalf of the user in the blockchain. We can never make use of the tokens. We can never mint something for the user. And that's by design. Because the moment that we're able to do that, then we essentially become a wallet. And then all the risks associated with having the wallet in your phone are there. And we don't want that. I think there's a way to integrate with wallets in the registration process for token proof, where you don't have to come to tokenproof.xyz to register your wallet. You can just do it through MetaMask and you'll be shown a QR code that validates that you own that wallet and you just sync that with the token proof app. That's somewhere we want to go. But I think there always needs to be this clear wall between your wallet and your proof of ownership mechanism. What happens if at the next Cooltopia by the Cool Cats, you can actually spend milk 
in order to get merch using token proof. We could do that one way or another. And the way to do that is we set up some smart contract that is able to take in currency. And then you have that limited amount in your token proof wallet that you can spend using the token proof app, but that does not make use of any of your other assets in your traditional wallet. I love that barrier you're talking about. I think that maybe people, as you saw all the scams and people losing assets are probably too fast and loose with signing on to websites and thinking they're going to get a deal or something. And even when anytime I log on to anything with a hard wallet or a hot wallet, I'm always a little bit concerned about, okay, what am I doing? And we've talked in the past about reading these. The UX is so horrible. I knew you and we were talking on Telegram while I was doing it and it all worked seamlessly, but it was impressive. I mean, maybe this just shows the eagerness of the industry to try things that people logged on and felt so comfortable. I mean, you were a known person in the community. So people, I think, probably felt comfortable. Were there a lot of questions when people signed up to say like, okay, what am I doing? Is this real? Because it was the first time anyone did this. Whenever the Board of Yacht Club tweeted out that people had to enroll with TokenProof and they had to go to the website and connect their wallets, a lot of people asked, was the Board of Yacht Club's Twitter hacked? Like, is this real? Can we trust these guys? Is this legit? So we definitely had a lot of those questions. And I think that as we had more of a critical mass of projects using us, people were like, okay, this is okay. This is real. And also understanding that the only thing that you're doing with your wallet and token proof is signing a human readable message. The only thing that that message does is prove that you're the owner of that wallet. As soon as you sign that message, it's really useless. We can't do anything with that message. People ask me, what's the risk? What happens if token proof gets hacked? There's a couple of things that can happen, but the one thing that is absolutely impossible is that that malicious actor gains access to your tokens because you signed up for token proof. It's absolutely impossible. The only risk that I really see is maybe somebody gains access to our infrastructure and brings our service down, and suddenly you have a line at ApeFest and people can't get in because we can't scan people's QR codes. That's pretty much it. As you were saying that, and I was thinking about what token proof is being used for right now, it's taking digital assets for in real life events. And you mentioned at the beginning that you know you could use them for digital events too. Where's your focus or your time split on the idea of going and attending an event or partnering with a brand in the real world versus a digital experience where this barrier is a really great way to protect people from doing bad things with their wallet? I think we're going to continue building momentum because we have to keep the momentum going is by integrating with Collabland, for example, so that people can finally leave their wallet behind and still get that role on Discord or Telegram. That's going to be important for us. And it's going to get us a funnel of new users because I bet that there's a lot of people that have uninstalled the token proof app because FTNYC is over. But we want to get those people to reinstall the app so that they can make use of their tokens without exposing their tokens online. So Discord verification, metaverse events, or metaverse in general, how do you log into a metaverse like the sandbox? Well, if you do it through token proof, it's an easier way where you don't have to connect your wallet directly, but you can also bring in multiple assets in multiple wallets from multiple blockchains into that metaverse. We can be that bridge into that metaverse because as it is right now, we already support Avalanche, Polygon, Ethereum, Gnosis. We're going to be integrating Solana soon. So when you log in to a metaverse using token proof, you don't have to connect like 10 different wallets. 
from each one of these blockchains. You just connect using token proof and all of your assets from all of these different blockchains can be bridged by this single tunnel. There's going to be metaverse events because you don't have the constraints of physical capacity and the cost of production. So it doesn't matter if you're throwing an event for 10 people or 10 million people, you'll have the same cost when it comes to metaverse events. And I think there's people like Steve Aoki that are already doing it and things that have been done in Fortnite. I think you're going to continue to see this and we want to be a part of it. I guess the question about revenue, I know it's changed a couple of times with the revenue model for token proof, but how do you see generating revenue or monetization for the company? I think that our focus is going to continue on building the community and building the customer base and building the partnerships. I don't want to go crazy with pricing. Sorry, investors, but I think it's more important to continue getting that critical mass and optimizing for adoption. The monetization is definitely going to be on the verifier side of things. Whoever is verifying the tokens, whether it's an event organizer, whether it's the Bored Yacht Club, whether it's Sephora, I think it's going to be important to focus the business model on that side. That's not to say that we won't ever monetize the consumer. I think there's value add components that we could offer to the consumer. But for now, we want to make sure that this is a solution that is freely available to the consumer. And we're going to start charging the verifiers where it makes sense and how much makes sense. We like to end all these podcasts with the same question. I'm really excited to ask you, what are you most excited to build or see come to fruition over the next six months? And what are you excited to build over the next six years? I think in the next six months, we're definitely excited about the online side of things. And continuing on this events vertical, because it's just a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun being backstage at ApeFest, planning something at that scale. Because my passion is music, that's definitely somewhere I want to go. These last six months since we started Token Proof, it's all been more fun than work for me. This has been just an amazing journey. Way more fun than vaccines, by the way. In the next six years, we definitely want to see that retail use case materialize. From a tech perspective, we're going to be there soon. It's not going to take six years. I think the big effort is going to be on getting all of these brands comfortable with the notion of interacting with NFTs. And that's going to take a little bit of time. I don't know if six years, but definitely one or two years. It's an awesome place to start. I'm excited to see you next. I'm assuming you're going to be backstage at the Rolling Stones or Aerosmith or I don't know what next, but I think you'll be there. So thank you, Fonz, for the time today. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Eric. Pleasure to be here. To find more episodes of Breakdowns or to sign up for our weekly summary, check out joincolossus.com. That's J-O-I-N-C-O-L-O-S-S-U-S dot com. 